In this episode, I check back in with Eric Gray, licensed acupuncturist, who was a guest on episode 35. Eric and his wife and business partner, licensed massage therapist Amanda Barp, own Watershed Wellness Astoria in Oregon. In episode 35, Eric and I discuss the history of their business and his intention to limit his practice to herbal medicine. In this episode, he and I return to that decision, talk about the changes that have occurred at the practice and how his recent commitment to Buddhism has given him the space to resume practicing both acupuncture and herbal medicine. We also discuss how they've managed transitioning patients between providers in the practice. Please enjoy this episode with Eric Gray as we examine how stress affects our professional practice and the importance of self-care in maintaining our health. Eric, thanks for taking the time today. I'm glad to be here. So it's been uh, just over two years since we spoke officially. Um, if you want to just give us a brief encapsulation of uh, what you and Amanda do there. At Whole Life Practitioner? There. Yeah. Well, at the practice first. Let's do the practice first. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot I could say. Um well, we now have, so we're a multimodality clinic, and so we have uh, acupuncture and Chinese herbs, we have massage, we have naturopathic medicine, and then we also have what we're calling integrative family medicine, which is a little bit different. And then we have uh, estheticians who do skincare, and we are creeping up on 15 total staff, um, which is kind of our goal. And we, gosh, since that time, it's so hard for me, you know, COVID blew all of our minds in terms of time. So I think we had already moved to this new location last we spoke. Um, yeah, we must have. And so, uh, but this location we filled out, we now are an entire wing basically of this building. Um, and yeah, we're, set, we're settling in, we're doing, we're doing, we're doing well. So I'm guessing that uh, I didn't go back and listen to the last uh, recording, but uh, you had quite a few fewer practitioners then. So you've had some pretty exponential growth. And the big thing we really talked about then, um, well, one of the big things we talked about then was uh, your uh, idea of trying to limit what you did professionally to just herbal medicine. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was a long time. I mean, wow. Time. I don't understand it. Um, yeah. So that's right. I was, so part, let me know if I'm going off too far from what you were hoping for, but, um, just to talk about that for a second. So that time frame. so that was, you know, I had been seeing at that point right before that or around leading up to that, I had been seeing like 40 patients a week. And I know, it, you know, in different professions, uh, things are a little bit different, obviously. But for me, seeing 40 patients doing things the way that I do them is just not sustainable, which I didn't know. And I actually popped it up that many to see what it would feel like. And it felt terrible. Uh, and then I think, that combined with many other factors, I just got really, you know, burned out. Um, and what the experience I was having, which I'm not sure if we talked about this on this last podcast, is that I was just feeling very drained when I did acupuncture. And um, that draining effect actually didn't seem to change even when I reduced down to 20 patients a week. 
Uh, and that's, I think, when I started thinking, well, maybe it's that, you know, because it is a lot. I mean, you, I, I shouldn't be talking to you, Neil, because you do so many different things. But, you know, doing so many, you know, doing multiple modalities at a high level is very difficult. And um, I'm a perfectionist and I'm a person who really uh, wants to put everything I can into what I do. And so to do acupuncture halfway or to do herbs halfway was not possible for me. Or at least it didn't feel possible at that time. And so, yeah, so I stopped, I stopped doing herbs only practice. Um, and that continued for, I'm, I'm sorry, again, I, my, my brain with time is not great, but for a while, I did that for a while. And I was still seeing some acupuncture patients that were like my tried and true patients that I'd had for a long time and with whom I didn't get that energetic drain. Um, when I treated them that way and uh, the rest of my patients, I dispersed among the, the rest of the crew. Um, and honestly, the, what really got me kind of getting back into acupuncture was another change in the practice because we, our highest volume practitioner, Todd Garrity, uh, he was a, he did Korean hand therapy, which I think you're probably familiar with. Um, yes. just a kind of micro microsystems based. Um, anyway, he, was very high volume and uh, I mean for us and uh, he suddenly had to leave because he had a change in his family structure and he needed to move to Washington. And so suddenly we were without our highest volume practitioner and we have a space, you know, I mean, I'm, anybody listening to this who's in practice understands, you know, you, you build the staff for the facility you have. Right. And, you can't just because your 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 staff shrinks. You can't just like leave your facility because we all have commercial leases, right? <laughs> Unless you own your place or something like that. So we had to scramble because we we had the same expenses, but now you know thirty less patients a week being seen, and so I had to step in and kind of the rest of my journey from that point has really been learning how to deal with that and and trying to find my way in this place of necessity and ultimately coming back to a place where I actually feel a fair amount of passion for acupuncture as well. Um, so it's been kind of, yeah, it's been kind of a long, long journey. It seems like a decades long journey since last I talked to you somehow. Well, you, you said two interesting things there. Uh, first thing that caught my ear was you were, you sussed out the, the patients that were a drain um, and, you know, kind of kept the ones that, that didn't drain you as much. I think that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that and thinking about uh, how uh, even I might at some point, if I wanted to uh, slow down, would be to just, you know, I can certainly, I bet you, <laughs> you know, I can look at the appointment book for Monday and, and be able to check off ones that uh, I, I don't feel drained by. And there's certainly ones I think all of us could identify oh, yeah. patients in our practice that do that. That's a, that's a really interesting thing. And then the other, you know, you had to jump back in and, you know, you had the practitioner leave that did a pretty specialized form of acupuncture. I mean, how did you guys manage uh, filling that gap when you had those patients that were expecting that sort of modality? Yeah, it was a little bit of an adjustment. Um, the, the main, the good thing is that uh, I think it would have been harder if we'd been like in Portland or something where, 
There's a lot more people seeking the services, and so they might well actually go to a practice to seek out a specific subset of the modality. In this case, I don't think people even knew that he was doing anything special. Like It's just the population out here, a lot of people we see to this day, even now, uh, are people who have never had acupuncture before. Some of them had not heard of acupuncture until they saw our website, no joke. And so, so, you know, it wasn't that difficult for them, but it is an adjustment since I do mostly Dong style acupuncture now. Um, and Korean hand therapy, they do a lot of non-insertive, uh, practice and very like Japanese style. They do a lot of very shallow, uh, needling. And so, and mostly hands, you know, from the wrist down and ankles down. So, so basically I just, I, I'm a talker as you might be able to tell. And, uh, I just would talk to every single patient and just tell them like, Hey, you know, this is, this is what Todd was doing. This is how, what I'm doing is going to be different. If, if at any point this feels uncomfortable to you or, you know, you would, you, you need to talk about it, just let me know. And I didn't have any, any, anybody with a problem. There were a couple of people who wanted, so Todd would often send folks home with, um, basically like press tax, you know, uh, yeah. or, but, but your seeds basically, uh, so non, not insertive and, uh, they missed that. So I had to kind of adapt my own practice and started, um, handing out lots more press tax and stuff like that, just so they could treat themselves at home. They liked that part of what he did. Cool. So. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that comes to mind now, um, and those of us in veterinary practice can relate is, um, you're overburdened, especially I, I know on the massage end. And so your wife and business partner, uh, Amanda is a massage therapist. And, and I know the struggles that you've gone through with having a huge demand, uh, for massage and, and not being able to fill that. So how have, uh, you both addressed that, um, as owners, how have you, how have you managed that demand? I think all of us in, in veterinary practice have had that, you know, that w demand that well exceeds what we can provide. Yeah. I mean, you know, we still have it even on the acupuncture side. Uh, it was getting really bad with the massage though. Um, what people, I mean, so I practice in Astoria, Oregon. Most people are not going to have any idea what that means, but we're on the coast of Oregon. It's a tourist town uh, in many ways. It, there's tourist economy really drives the local economy. And um, in particular, we get a lot of visitors from Portland because we're about two hours away. Um, and so a lot of people come here for for that. And because of the sort of uh, realities of a tourist economy, which is you have big booms and busts, right? You have these huge cycles. Um, and also because it's a tourist space, there's just a huge demand for massage that's pretty seasonal. So in the summer, we have a lot of visitors who like to do one-off massage. So we get a lot of pressure from that, especially in the summer and then sometimes around the holidays. Um, and that, that has its own type of stress um, because we actually don't like to do that kind of work. We're really more of a locals place. And, you know, that kind of one-off work um, in, in the kind of work I do, it's just really challenging. You know, it's like it's, it's energetically challenging to like meet and assess a brand new person knowing that you're probably never going to see them again. And same with massage, maybe more so with acupuncture, but. Uh, so, so that's its own type of stress. Like we get this, like we have kind of staffing issues because 
people will call, you know, we just, and so that's something we honestly still have not handled. Um, and we probably never will. It's just a difficult thing. And basically we just refer all those patients out. Um, but it is annoying, (laughs) but the larger, the larger piece is that, um, we, because we're one of the only, and partly because of that episodic nature of the local economy, a lot of people end up leaving. A lot of practices don't survive out here. And because of that, anybody who's left and anybody who's more persistent ends up like becoming the magnet for everybody's referrals. Uh, and so we continue to, you know, have, have a huge amount of demand. Um, and honestly, we, the only way we, ha- I mean, did we handle that? I'm not sure. Uh, we basically handled it by having a wait list and occasionally we could let people off the wait list. You know, we, we managed it pretty tightly and sometimes, you know, people move on and, or people get better. And so you have spots that open up, but our massage therapists were regularly six months out and it was stressful. Like it, it was less stressful for me and maybe more stressful for Amanda because she had to deal with it a bit more. Um, but ultimately we just tried to hire and we finally did. We got lucky and hired two massage therapists at the same time. And, um, only maybe interesting thing about that is that we actually found that a lot of that pent up demand did not convert to new patients. And I think it's cause it took too long, you know, so it, it really taught us a lesson that indeed it's important to keep on top of your demand, you know, if you can, um, so we were, you know, we're, I mean, we're just trying to hire all the time now. That's, that's our, that's our life. <laughs> the other change that I know you've gone through since we last spoke is that you've, um, got a naturopath on board. How has that changed things? Oh yeah. So, uh, we always had one, uh, and we've pretty much always had a naturopath on staff. Um, our, our, um, uh, for a while, for I guess, I don't know, two and a half, three years, we've had a person who is both a naturopath and an acupuncturist on staff. And she um, is more focused on her acupuncture practice. So that's probably why it seemed a little bit new that we had a naturopath. Um, because she's, uh, so in Oregon, uh, naturopathic medicine is primary care. So they, you know, they have pretty much the same scope of practice as MDs do. Uh, with the exception of certain uh, DEA-regulated substances. Um, some of them they do have access to, but basically the more heavy-duty narcotics, they have different types of access to. Uh, and this this person we've had on staff, Melinda, who's also the acupuncturist, she uh, didn't like to do that part. She was not interested in doing sports physicals and, you know, well-woman exams and all this kind of stuff. So... Um, but we have a lot of demand for that because the other thing, any of your uh, listeners who are in rural healthcare will know that there's just not enough primary care physicians. I mean, in the U.S. anyway, um, there's just not enough. And and so naturopaths or MDs or DOs or whatever they are, uh, they're in very high demand. And so that was another piece of demand that we were constantly fielding and feeling some stress about that people would call us and be like, I can't find a primary care practitioner. You know, I'd love to come see an acupuncturist, but really I just need to get my, you know, my annual exam or whatever it is. Um, so we did start looking for somebody who was a naturopath and a little bit more focused on that aspect of things. And we finally found someone, someone uh, named Allie Evans, who is an ND. And she's the one that uh, at the beginning of this, I said, she d- what she calls what she does, integrative family practice. So she's a little bit more on the biomedical side of things. Um, she's a naturopath. She uses, you know, all the herbs and 
you know, flower essences and homeopathic substances and all the things that you would expect out of a naturopath. But she also um, does a fair amount of pharmaceutical prescribing. She does blood tests in-house now, urinalysis in-house, um, and uh, does well woman exams. And um, I don't think she does much minor surgery, but she certainly could. But, you know, she does more kind of conventional style medicine, but from a naturopathic approach. So yeah, she's been a great addition. It's just an interesting uh, thing for me to think about. You know, we certainly, because I only do um, holistic care, you know, we do get that um, push of clients that are naturally minded that want someone like that in veterinary, you know, from a veterinary standpoint. um, And that's just something we can't provide, but it's an interesting thought, you know, that maybe a practice like mine um, could employ a practitioner like that who would do an integrative, uh, practice slanted, you know, toward, um, more natural care. It's an interesting thought, but the, um, the big question that I, I wanted to ask you today is, you know, you sort of necessity brought you back from that, um, uh, the way your, your personal practice was trending. And I just, and that, uh, you know, as you described some burnout, but what were, what was the big thing personally for you that, that helped, um, kind of drag you out of that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I was, uh, you know, kind of prepared to chat about today. Um, it was actually kind of interesting thinking about it and kind of thinking of the flow. Um, and I, you know, it's hard for me to, it's kind of hard to reconstruct exactly how it happened, but, um, you know, when I re-entered kind of doing more acupuncture and increased my volume, I definitely felt the same stressors that I had previously. Um, but it was it was a little bit better. And f- that's just like for personal reasons that are not interesting to anyone else. Like it was, you know, just like different time in life and different uh, family pressures and stuff kind of made it a little bit easier. And so, so that was one thing I like really realized. I mean, this is such a silly thing. We all know this, but just like how much external factors can really influence your experience of your profession, right? So if your mom is dying or if your, you know, child is having a hard time or if whatever, you know, all of these types of external pressures that we don't have a lot of control over, um, they can make us feel worse about the work that we do. And so that's actually in my coaching and consulting and just mentorship of, of students, it's uh, especially folks who are out in practice already, uh, it's something I've been talking to them a lot about because um, it, it's fairly common in acupuncture, especially around the fifth year. I don't know what it is for veterinary medicine, but around the fifth year, generally people will hit a wall and they'll start to kind of that youthful enthusiasm that comes from initial licensure and kind of being done with school and kind of, you know, the the magic and mystery of it really comes to the fore. And um, that seems to kind of you know, chill out a little bit sometime around the fifth year. And I will have people coming to me saying, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. And um, before I would, you know, I had my party line, but now I really do talk to them a lot about um, what's going on in your life, you know, and, and before you start assuming that it's the profession, start thinking about what else is causing you to have less energy and time for for this practice, you know, but anyway, that's, that's, that's a side note. Um, I was still feeling stressed, uh, for sure. And what really started to turn the tide for me in ways that i really did not expect to be entirely honest, uh, was my spiritual practice. And basically, you know, I've always been a meditator. I've always been kind of a person who's been oriented towards, um, seeking, uh, 
kind of spiritual traditions and just traditions, I'll say that uh, that that helped me uh, both to make sense of the world and also uh, to employ various practices to help myself energetically. So qigong is a is an example of something that really helped me while I was in school to get through school. Um, both because of kind of the philosophy that comes along with Qigong and it helped me think about the world differently and then kind of the energetic practices of Qigong, which helped my energetic system to be a little bit better. Um, But meditation has always been something that's been very important to me and Buddhism has been on my radar since I was about 16 years old. Um, But I've always struggled to kind of find a community or a teacher or any like real, uh, any, any real anchor for it, I guess. So I would just meditate, but, you know, meditating in your, in your space with no particular kind of non-sectarian meditation, you know, or secular meditation, it was fine. And it it definitely helped chill me out, but it just wasn't what I was looking for. And so sometime really around the beginning of the pandemic, and then increasingly as we kind of went from pandemic times uh, up until now, I... Uh, started to engage with a, a local monastery. We have a monastery called the Great Vows and Monastery, which is about 45 minutes east, basically between me and Portland, about an hour in either direction. Uh, and I had no idea it was there. I mean, I, I kind of knew because I had seen it many, many years ago, but I had no idea it was so close. And they were doing all this stuff online because of the pandemic. And, um, you know, anybody out in the audience here uh, who is, you know, inclined towards anything like this, um, you'll know that sometimes you, sometimes you hear a teacher or you read a text or you engage with a group of people and you just like feel something inside that is like hard to explain, but it just feels correct. And, uh, and that's, that's how I felt when I started engaging with this group of people. Um, and, so I started to kind of, my meditation practice picked up. I started to really, you know, be more serious about doing it regularly, which, you know, before it was kind of maybe four days a week or something like that. And now, you know, it's been every day. And, and then I started to listen to the teachers more and I started to go, they have a Sunday program, a uh, live Sunday program with uh, meditation practice in it, walking meditation and uh, Dharma talk and stuff like that. And and I got, you know, I got more and more deep into it. And then I started doing retreat practice there. And this year, starting 2023, I've been going to retreat practice for a week every month. And so what happened, you know, and again, I'm sorry if I'm babbling, but what really happened for me is that at some point, it wasn't just the meditation, like the meditation is super important. And anybody who does, is listening, who does not meditate, has never meditated before, I'm like, whether you love like Buddhism or not, whether, you know, whatever. I think even the kind of totally secular and really non-Buddhist in a way meditation I was doing before was still super beneficial. But for me, what really turned the tide in my life and in my practice was the the philosophy and the the teachings and the and the ethical teachings of Buddhism. And and so and in Zen in particular, because that's just the flavor I happen to be in. Um, and you know and I mean, I don't know how much more you want me to say about it, really. But like, there, there's so many things. But really, what happened is that I started to, it just shifted. It's so hard to explain it just like, I just one day, like I came back from a retreat, and it wasn't even that anything in particular happened in the retreat, or, you know, I can't even really say what it was. But then just suddenly, like, 
the my practice with patients turned from feeling like this energetic drain to feeling like the opposite and not like I was taking energy from them, but like we were generating energy together. And like, I just, I, I, it's, I don't know why or how, but it really, I mean, it has something to do with like this, the central nature of compassion and in Buddhism. And just like, I started to really understand what that means. Like that word, we say that word a lot, but I really started to feel in my heart what that meant. And like, I started to see that my work with patients, um, you know, it's, it's more than a, a job, you know, and yeah, I don't even, I don't even know how to explain it. You know, I, I was thinking about how am I going to explain this to other people? And I don't know that I can, but it's just that I think it just filled me up in a way and opened my heart in a way that now when I work with patients, I just feel, it just feels like in the flow of my life. And it feels like the, the, why I'm here, you know, to some extent. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a drain, even when I have tough patients, you know, I work with veterans a lot. Um, so there is a lot of Vietnam vets and, um, and some more recent, uh, wars and those patients can be pretty tough because they're, they're generally quite skeptical and they're actually told to come and see me. So that's always a weird thing. Um, and they're, they also, they have a tendency to have a certain type of, uh, political philosophy, which is not always vibe with me perfectly. And, uh, they've also, they have a lot of trauma as a, as a general rule. And so it's, um, it can be a tough population. Uh, they're wonderful people, but there's a lot going on there. And so it can be a challenge. And like, I can't even tell you, like, it was just like night and day. Like after I came back from that retreat, I like sitting with those patients was just like, it felt, I can't even explain. It was, if it, it went from feeling like a drain and like a battle and like a difficulty to feeling like a gift. And, and it, and that hasn't changed. Like the more retreat I do, the more it just feels easy now. It's, it's bizarre actually. <laughs> so <laughs> One, wonderful. So uh, two things come out of that. Um, just for, you know, I'm familiar because that's my uh, that's my jam too is to the, the Buddhism thing. But um, can you just can you can briefly explain um, surface level kind of what happens when you go away in a retreat, what the flow is, uh, sure. you know, as far as the, the logistics, just so people can get a sense of you know just what you're uh, what you're putting yourself in for. Yeah, it's no joke. I will say um, at least these retreats. So not every you know there's uh, there's lots of different types of retreats even at this monastery. Um, the type of retreat I've been doing is what's called Sashin, which is a very specific format of, of retreat. Um, it's generally seven days. Some of them are a little shorter. And then I just did one that was 10. Um, and they're silent. So that's, that's a big piece of it. And I do think it's part of what cracked me open. Ultimately, um, I talk for a living and um, I get tired of it, you know, and, and that silence not only do you not speak to each other, but you also don't make eye contact with each other. And there's something that happens with the group of folks where you just, you become this like energetic body and you, you just make space for each other and work together and in, in a wordless way that is beyond, beyond. And it really allows you to see who, who we are as humans and, and how human community can operate. So that's a big piece, the silence. Um, 
we sit for sometimes uh, anywhere from eight to nine hours a day, uh, do seated meditation, which is no joke and not possible for everyone. The, the fortunate thing is that at this monastery, they're very open to different ways of sitting. So there's several, especially elders or, or just folks with mobility issues, will just sit in chairs. So, you know, and, and some people will start out seated on the ground, like you would imagine, you know, like your vision of meditation and cross-legged posture. And then by the end, they're in a chair. Uh, some people even stand. And so there's a lot of tolerance for that. So sitting for eight or nine hours um, becomes a little bit more possible because you don't have to like be in full lotus position or whatever. <laughs> like, I yeah, don't know who can yeah. do that, but it's not, not me. Um, and uh, then there's, there's walking meditation and then there's work practice. So we work together to take care of the monastery. And so there's usually 90 minutes a day where we do a job and, you know, it's, you're encouraged to, do that with presence. So it really feels like the entire time that you're there, you're in some type of meditation. There's Dharma talks. Um, so the, sometimes a teacher will talk during meditation, but then there's a special period where they give a very specific Dharma talk. Everything's around a theme. So, um, and not all session is done this way, but at Great Vow, that's how they do it. So like the last one was, this is a dream. So it was all about the dreamlike nature of reality. So that's kind of, that helps me as a person who's very philosophically oriented and kind of a little bit over intellectualized to give something to grasp onto, um, which of course you let go of at some point, but uh, that can be helpful. And we eat meals together in the Orioki style, which is a, just a very formal Japanese style of, of meal practice. Um, which is meant to kind of encourage intentionality in eating. Um, I miss it. I, that I literally like. It's almost bringing tears to my eyes. Like I like sobbed at the at the last retreat at the last Oriyoki meal because I miss it so much when I'm gone. Because there's just something about it. It's just this reverence that we don't have, at least in America. Um, you know, even people who like pray before meals or whatever. Like food is just shoved in your face, and you don't really think about what it what it is, you know, this nourishment that's coming from the earth. And so, so you can see that the whole container of the retreat is meant to orient you around seeing the preciousness of, of every moment of this life and to uh, be grateful for it and to be open to what, whatever it is, whether it's pain in your knees because you've been sitting for 25 hours or whatever it is, or whether it's, you know, dealing with something difficult. Often when you sit for a long time in meditation, things do come up, you know, because you're very quiet and you're, uh, you're not supposed to look at devices. We're not supposed to read or write during the retreat. So it's just you and your mind. And that, that's what scares most people about about it and it should because it is it's it's no joke but at some point i think as you work through it there's just a lot of space and a lot of grace to to move with the the natural motion of the mind and at some point even this wild mind of mine does get quiet and then it's just the most indescribable peace that that i've ever have ever experienced and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is is not uh, uh, I don't know if you call it docusan or interviews with the teacher part of the part oh, yeah. of the retreat process as well. Yep, 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 yep. I uh, they call it sanzen here, but okay. Um, yeah, so that and that that uh, is based. So you do speak, and that's the, pretty much the only time you speak, um, where you do a little interview with the teacher and. That's, uh, I think that's peculiar to Zen, isn't it? It's a, 
very specific practice. It's ritualized. You do, there is also bowing and chanting practice throughout the whole retreat. Um, but there's a specific bowing sequence you do and very formalized. It was very stressful for me. I have to admit, um, that one-on-one. So you just, um, basically you're meant to bring your, your obstacles and practice, what you're working with. Um, and you know, sometimes you just talk about your life. Um, and yeah, you, you, that, that's very valuable. Often the teacher will give you like pointers. Like, uh, I think a lot of brand new meditators will talk about the pain they experience or the difficulty they have on quieting their mind. And the teacher will give them, um, ideas about how to work with that. Uh, at my point where I'm at with it, it's more conceptual, like working with some of the, um, you know, they'll give me practices and things to contemplate and, yeah, so that is that is a main part. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Sometimes there's like celebrations. We do have sometimes special days will fall during retreat. And so we'll have um, kind of more fun. And sometimes we'll do a little creative practice during certain retreats. But I think that's it. Sure. Hey, just one thing that came up while you're speaking. So are have you been able to kind of couple that uh, that intentionality and in, in work practice there on retreat with your practice your acupuncture practice, your health practice back in the office. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like we, so we chant, you chant before you do everything. And one of the chants you do before work practice, there's this line that says, as we work, we actualize our practice. And, you know, it's like, uh, if you've ever been in this kind of space, whether it's a Buddhist or something else, some type of retreat, it's like, your heart is open and so different things strike you at different times, right? And yeah. that this last retreat and the one before, that line like kind of like just resonated in my whole being. And, you know, it's like it's obviously a little harder. Like when I'm just mopping the floor of the cafeteria at the monastery, it's much easier to like stay in presence than when I'm managing 15 and you know, or whatever we have now, 13 employees. And, you know, 10 patients in a day, you know what I mean? It's like, it's definitely more difficult in the world. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that's part of what has really helped me is that I started to see like, there is no barrier between my practice on the cushion and my practice in the world. And, and that's what this is all about. And, and that's, it really became fuel for me continuing to devote myself to retreat practice because I was like, the retreat is where I can practice being in presence, even when, you know, a patient is being super skeptical or having a really difficult time on the table or whatever it is. Like if I can repeatedly force myself at, at, at retreat to stay in that flow, then surely I can bring that to, to work. And yeah, and I've been, I've been more successful and less successful, but it's definitely, even when I'm doing computer work, I, you know, I, it's starting to happen. <laughs> despite me. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that's what I was looking for. All right. One other uh, kind of tangential thing you've, I know you've recently uh, taken the precepts, so you've made a formal commitment to that Zen practice. Do you, do you, you know, kind of joining a lineage, have you made some parallels between that and your, um, your acupuncture practice lineage, your herbal practice? Yeah. Um, it's interesting this next, so I'm going on retreat again here in 10 days and nine days, I guess. Um, and the name of this retreat or the theme of the retreat is the light of our ancestors. So it's all about the lineage and the kind of main, one of the main teachers is going to be leading it. Um, 
and so, so leading up to that, but you know, it's talked about all the time um, in the Jukai process, of course, famous, uh, which is like a, yeah, I guess we don't need to get into that. But anyway, yes, lineage is a big thing um, spoken about a lot. And so it was like one of the first things I started thinking about is like, you know, what what are the parallels if there are any? And of course, there are differences, right? Uh, uh, a spiritual lineage like this. Um, yeah, there's just, I, 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 it's hard to say what exactly the differences are, but it does feel a little different. But yeah, I definitely, I really started thinking more. I mean, I've always been lineage focused in my medical practice, um, but I really started to um, have rever reverence. And I don't mean, I think people, we get a little weird about that, at least here. Um, it's not about having blind faith and it's not about letting people run roughshod over you. And it's not about venerating some human being and saying that they're, you know, God or, or anything like that. It's more about seeing that these people walked the same path you did and, um, that they stayed the course and, and that they're staying the course is what allowed you to do the work that you do. And so for me, it's always been important, but I, it definitely kicked it up a notch, um, seeing how lineage plays out in the Buddhist sense, for sure. I, yeah. Thank you for that. I, I just, the more and more we talk about it, um, you know, I just think, on the veterinary side, you know, we have our teachers and, and, you know, it's just, sometimes it's important. And I think reverence is a great term just to look and say, Hey, you know, um, I'm carrying this forward that I'm carrying their work forward. And I have a responsibility to, to that and to pass that on, uh, when I'm through. And it's just, it's just something that we yeah. should all take time and, and think about That's one last thing. Um, just if you can talk a little bit about the practical side, the logistics. I mean, you're you're spending a, a what a lot of us would consider a fair amount of time away now at retreat. How have you managed that? How have you worked that out on the business side? Yeah, it's no joke. I mean, it, this this one in particular is hitting different because we have a lot going on, and um, it's just you know, so it helps that my w business partner is my wife. Um, you know, so, so it's not like I have to negotiate with, um, it's somebody who directly benefits from my spiritual practice too, right? Because as I become more aligned in myself, I become a better husband and a, a better person in general. So, so that kind of helped us just say like, yeah, let's do this. Um, and financially, uh, it just, happens to work out just because of the particulars of, of our situation. I sure would be making more money if I wasn't taking a week off a month. Um, but we're surviving. So that's nice. Um, you know, and also it's like, it's allowed me to increase the numbers in my practice when I am here. Uh, so it kind of balanced out from a, just a sheer financial perspective. Um, and then with patients, you know, I just, I, I just told them, like during this week. So Amanda basically fills my formulas when I'm gone, my wife, and um, we have a big staff. So it's, you know, if I was a solo practitioner, there's no freaking way I would be able to do this because I mean, I, maybe I could, but it would be much harder because the practice goes on without me. So, um, so, you know, patients occasionally like need help. So the truth is don't let any of my great vow people hear this, but I do check you're not supposed to look at your phone, but I do check once a day just to make sure there's no emergencies. And I, you know, I'm very 
quiet about it. I don't let anybody see it. I don't let it interfere with anybody else. And I don't do other things. I just look at my email and make sure that there's nobody that urgently. It's very rare, but it does happen that people get in touch with me to basically ask if they should go to the ER, um, which I try to tell them not to do, but they do anyway. Um, so that's like logistically, you know, and I have autoresponders on my email and everybody at the clinic knows what to do um, if somebody contacts them. And so far, I mean, you know, we're five retreats in, there haven't been any insurmountable issues. Um, I will just say for Amanda, because she has to carry the entire executive load while I'm gone. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes that's hard, right? You know, we all know that Sometimes a lot of stuff comes up, you know, whether it's employee issues or uh, financial issues or something unexpected on the legal front. Um, and like this last time, it was tougher on her and all the previous times it's been okay. So uh, we're just working with it. You know, we made the commitment at the beginning of the year to, to have me do this. And then at the end of the year, we'll make a decision whether the hardship was too great. So. Sure. Well, th thank you for that. I, I see, you know, two observations there. I mean, what, this isn't, uh, we're talking about Buddhism because that's what you and I are familiar with, but, you know, it, it could be any particular thing for anybody. And, you know, we know that Amanda's got uh, her own practices for, uh, you know, the, the things that she does away from work to recharge. And those are separate from that, but, you know, everybody needs their own thing. Um, you know, the other is that, yeah, you know, that, accommodations can be made you know if it if if uh it's a decision that the two of you as business owners can make and i think a lot of us could if we really looked hard we could say if 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 something was uh that important whether it was you know going and doing a triathlon uh through the through the season or going off to retreat um those things can be done well uh, one more thing before we go i i did you did mention coaching and uh your interactions with students if you want to if you can touch on uh, whole life practitioner and just um, mention what you guys do there. Yeah, sure. This is, this is a kind of side, side project that's morphed uh, over the years. Um, but basically we have a website, wholelifepractitioner.com and we have a, a community uh, using a, a software platform called circle, which many people were probably familiar with um, where we try to help and, and support people in their practices in particular, it's less medically oriented and more business oriented uh, and, and like kind of life oriented. Like how do we, you know, kind of the stuff we've been talking about here. Um, and we do have kind of a small library of courses, which we're going to be developing over time that are pretty specific to acupuncturists, um, but probably have some broader utility. And uh, we do do a little bit of content production, although we're doing less of that. And then we do coaching, individual coaching with, uh, with so far it's been all acupuncturists um, and a little bit of consulting work, just helping people with their books and, and other things like that. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I just, <laughs> I have a lot going on, but I just feel compelled, you know, like you were saying about giving back, you know, it's like, um, I just, I feel very deeply that if you're, if you're any good at something that is hard for other people, you should try to help people who struggle with it. And I don't know how it is in veterinary medicine, but I know in acupuncture, there's not enough business training by half and people who are great practitioners will fail because they just don't have the training and they don't have the help. And I've, I've, I've felt very, um, 
privilege to be able to help some people stay in practice and even improve and increase their practices over the years. So, so yeah, that's just a little something, little something extra that we do. I'm not exactly sure um, where it's going. Like, are we going to do more courses? Are we going to do more consulting? Um, but we're just kind of moving with the needs of the people at this point. Very good. Uh, one more thing before we go, I should uh, just mention that uh, you had said about uh, Great Vow having services online. They do have a great uh, YouTube channel. I'll put a link uh, for people that are interested because I occasionally will catch a service online uh, from yeah. out here in the Eastern time zone. Uh, and they, they do a really good job at, uh, at their virtual offerings too. Yeah, they have, they have a great YouTube channel and they have an excellent podcast. And um, definitely go through the archives on those if you have any, you know, interest in any of that stuff. And some of it's quite, you know, it it's not like hardcore Buddhist stuff all the time. It's like sometimes just really interesting, different perspectives on on things that we all face, you know, life and death and love and everything in between. So, yeah, great. Thanks for mentioning it. Very good, Eric. Great to uh, catch up again. And I'm sure that we'll be back in touch uh, to see where you guys are going. At another time. Yeah, I, I hope so. Maybe in two years, you know, who knows what's going to be going on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it a regular thing. All right. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Yeah. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.